tired. So tired. Overtired. Hello, people. This is Jeff Severns Gunsel. This is the Overtired Podcast. We have a special guest today. First, I want to introduce my co-hosts, Christina Warren. Hello, Christina. Hello. And Brett Terpstra. Hello, Brett. Oh, hi there. Brett has a beard he's thinking of shaving, but we won't get into that um, unless he actually starts to shave it in on the episode. That's terrible radio. <laughs> and our very special guest, Brian Guffey, uh, is here. Been here many times before. Hello, Brian. Welcome back. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. Very excited and very caffeinated. <laughs> Yay. That's good. That is very good. What type of caffeinated? Like too much coffee or too much Red Bull? Starbucks cold brew. Man, I got this stuff from this company called Wandering Bear. They ship you like wine in a box, except it's coffee. So I have this like tap in my fridge that I can just pour out a full glass of cold brew anytime I want to. It's dangerous. Awesome. And I'm on a subscription plan. It just constantly refills itself. It's like magic. Wandering Bear. That could be my street name. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I feel you there. I feel like that. Given given your heterosexuality, that might give the wrong impression. <laughs> I haven't been wandering enough lately, so that's my problem, is I would be like stagnant bear. <laughs> so listen, I know you've been on a bunch of times, but do you want to give a little introduction to Brian Guffey before we start talking about things? Sure, I can do a real quick thing. Um, so let's see. I host uh, the podcast's Unsolicited Fatties Talk Back. And um, that's with Deshaun Harrison, Mikey Mercedes, and Caleb Luna, and Jordan Underwood, where we just talk about basically we take advice columns designed for fat people or about fat people and reinterpret them from a fat liberation lens. And then I do this other really fun podcast called um, Technically Queer, which is for trans people with ADHD and other mental health uh, challenges trying to make a podcast and get it out on a regular basis. And to tell you how successful we are, we have four episodes out. We've recorded another five that we have just forgotten to release. So, <laughs> so those are like your lost episodes. Yeah, exactly. I was like, we're going to release them. We just keep forgetting to put them up and hit publish. <laughs> you know, I I actually can see how that would happen because there are times when I just enjoy the conversation and like can forget that something's going to come of it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know which one of us is the most responsible. It really changes week to week, except it's never Alex Cox. (laughs) I love Alex, but they'll tell you, like, they're not the one that's going to get the thing posted. (laughs) Hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. We love you. All right. So we have some topics that we've kind of previewed when we were all kind of talking before we started recording. And one we've been sort of kicking down the road and I'm, I'm actually really glad that it lands here. Um, a couple of episodes ago, before we started recording, I went on the overtired Twitter and just said, does anybody have anything they want to hear us talk about or follow up on? And there's a podcast called pod therapy. And one of the hosts of pod therapy wrote in with this question. He said, what are your views on the appification of mental health? Use the examples like Headspace, BetterHelp, Cerebral. We could probably add the sponsor uh, that we brought on last week, um, Mindbloom. 
and mm. uh, awkwardly would just add a sponsor into this conversation. <laughs> um, and, and he said, well, better, better help has also been a sponsor. That's we're true. Just, that's we're true. Gonna, we're going to speak honestly here. And he said, do you think the tech industry and venture capital can do this well? So that's the question that we're going to like look at. Now, before we get really started, I want to also just uh, point out that Christina had circulated an article to all of us from the Wall Street Journal. Um, Christina, why don't you take a stab at summarizing that article? Yeah, so it's it's a really good uh, read. It's 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 a it's a long read, um, uh, but we'll have a link to it in in the show notes. Um, and it's it's um, one of the stories that it kind of centers on is um, this guy Harland Band who was living in a sober house. He'd been diagnosed as a kid with ADHD, but he'd had you know his struggles with um, I guess substance abuse. Um, but using Done, which is one of the uh, various services that advertises on on TikTok and Instagram and, and YouTube and things like that, he was able to connect with the doctor and basically get within about ten minutes, you know, get a, a appointment with the doctor who was then able to prescribe him Adderall. And that, or I think it was actually not even a doctor, it was a nurse practitioner, but someone who had the ability to prescribe medication. And that kind of set him off on. A relapse, and uh, it was the the entire uh, story. I think it, it opens up this this question of a couple of things. One, which is sort of the culpability of what these services have in terms of you know prescribing medication to people and trying to kind of balance. You know, on the one hand, we talk about how there's lack of access to a lot of people who have mental health problems and, and they don't have access to doctors, and this was especially true. During the pandemic, and I think we've all, uh, all of us on this pod, we've benefited from, um, you know, like telehealth services, but kind of trying to, to balance that with, okay, do the people who are, who are issuing these prescriptions, how much do they actually know about their patients and, and how much are they actually, how much due diligence are they doing? Because in this case, you know, this was somebody who was able to kind of answer the right questions, say the right things, and in, in 10 minutes get a prescription, you know, to, for, for a, a Schedule two narcotic mail to his house, um, which then set him off on um, a, a, a relapse, whereas not to say this couldn't have happened in person, but in person there would maybe be other uh, um, barriers to, to prevent that. And I think beyond that, it's saying, you know, uh, one, one of the things the article goes into, and, and there are some other articles that the the same reporter for the journal had written about, is the, I think the pressure that the, um, either the doctors or nurse practitioners or whoever are working for these services have to turn over patients as quickly as possible. So it's not just that you don't get a lot of time with people. It's that they themselves are under pressure and are basically encouraged to kind of turn people over as quickly as possible, but also to prescribe as much medication as possible because you need to have higher satisfaction rates. And so what does that do, um, you know, uh, ultimately to, to treating mental health and, and does this, you know, create more problems than, than it potentially solves. Has anybody, has, have any of you used any of these services? It's kind of weird to have Headspace in there, but I, I, I think it's fine. But beyond Headspace, anything that would be actual one-on-one mental health treatment? Yeah, I tried out BetterHelp. Um, I had a pretty good experience with BetterHelp. Uh, didn't ultimately feel like I connected with my therapist there and let it go, but um it, I didn't try again. Like you have the option with better help to continue. And how uh, did that, how, what was that like, like, how did that kind of get started? What was it like to, to log on? Did it feel 
um, like sort of a commodifying of mental health or did it feel no, like, yeah, actually, this works. I just don't click with this person. It actually felt really good. And I say full disclosure, they were a sponsor of ours. Uh, they have been in the past. Um, I honestly don't have anything bad to say about BetterHelp. They're not prescribing medications. No, um, I feel like they're somewhat right. excluded That's a very from. Thing. Right. But uh, it did. It felt like they, they connected me with someone that checked off all the boxes that I, I said, these are the things that are important to me and a therapist. They found someone uh, that matched as best they could. Um, I guess I had requested someone who was uh, well-versed in ADHD. And when I talked to my therapist there, uh, she did not actually have any experience with ADHD. So I guess they kind of failed in that regard. Uh, but I did have the option to to switch therapists, and I just didn't follow through on it. So I don't know if it would have gotten, if I would have gotten better results if I tried again. Yeah, and I can just say, um, my mom, who is who is a licensed, uh, you know, uh, therapist and counselor, she's been contacted. She's contacted by them probably, you know, a couple times a month asking, you know, if she wants to work for Better Health. Um, and for her, you know, she's retired. It probably. I'm not sure how much they pay per hour. From what I've looked, it looks between probably like $35 and $45 an hour. For her, as a retired person, it might make sense if she were to work, you know, 20 hours a week or something um, as just something to do, right? Uh, not not as a primary income or anything else. But I do like one of my concerns with with services like Better Health, even though I, I agree with Brett, like I think that, you know, you can get good people out of it, uh, but that you can get, you know, maybe not good people too. It just kind of depends on, on who you're doing. One of my concerns with better health more than anything else is the fact that it's like the amount of money that they are paying the, the counselors is in my opinion, going to necessitate one of two things, either people who are um, you might have people like my mom who are retired and are qualified and have been doing this for a long time, but you might also have people who are fresh out of school and can't get jobs other ways and might be doing this in addition to other things. And, you know, maybe don't have the experience that you would want, especially since frankly, when you look at the price of the service, it's, it can be less expensive than, you know, like weekly therapy without insurance, but it's not cheap, right? Like it, no, it, it's, it's a couple, it's, it's a couple hundred dollars a month, which again, you know, like my my psychiatrist who does therapy with me, he does not take insurance. That's always been his thing. He's about four hundred dollars an hour. Um, but so you know, I see him once a month. But if I saw more than that, obviously something like Better Health will be less expensive. But Better Health is still at several hundred dollars a month. And um, I think that unless you find somebody who you can really connect with, it's kind of a crapshoot. At least that's been what I've kind of picked up from talking to people who've used it. Yeah, I think one of the things that I – so I've used Modern Health. I mean, Christina and I, we've talked about Modern Health yep. before. They do EAPs for a lot of companies. and Yeah, we, yeah, we have Modern – I haven't used them, but I have access to them too. Yeah, and so I got an AD, I got a specific ADHD counselor through there, not for any – like I was just looking at their website, and they don't do – they don't prescribe uh, restricted, uh, like scheduled medication. They don't do that because uh, probably is my guess of this exact thing. But, um, you know, my experience was also like the ADHD therapist I got was like fine, but I definitely like stayed with her longer for that specific thing because it was free. 
you know, like I got so many sessions involved or included. Um, but I also want to say that I think one of the problems with therapy in general, as I know you just went through, like Brett, is therapy is a crapshoot. Finding the yeah. right therapist, period, yeah. is a crapshoot. And one of the things that I actually think is a bit frustrating to me with BetterHelp and some of these other services is the reason they exist is because of how expensive it is to get treatment, period, especially if you're right. un- specifically if you're uninsured. Right. And right. so no, you're somebody exactly thinking, right. I can, yeah, I can go to Dunn and I can get an ADHD prescription mm-hmm. really easily. And we can all probably talk to how hard it can be to get mm-hmm. a diagnosis for things and how much money you can spend. Right. Um, you know, that's the reason these things exist, um, at least partially. Or how easy to get the wrong diagnosis. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> No, but I think you're right. I mean, I think this is what one of the, the, the struggles is, is that this is obviously an area where I think that you can disrupt it with technology. Like, I, I'm not willing to say that I don't think that there's any role for VC in this, because I do think that technology can disrupt healthcare. I think that I, I, I think you can disrupt uh, this field. I think it is open to that. And and Brian and I, we, we've discussed some of the advancements that have happened, even kind of in the app space around insurance, which I think has been really positive. I think that the disconnect is, how do you make sure that you're not disrupting it in a way that could be harmful actively to to the people where where you know you go into typical like VC mode where you're thinking I'm just going to go for the moon and we need to do pure growth and you're not taking into consideration that this is still people's health. Yeah, the the main the main problem is the same problem that is you see throughout the healthcare industry is profit motive. Yes. Um it's right it's right for disruption, but when that disruption comes at the price where everything has to make a profit. Yep. Uh, When you turn mental health into a commodity, uh, which is exactly what will happen with with VC, Yep. uh, you turn it into a commodity, you're not going to get the best for the patient. You're going to get the best for the investor. Yeah. And it's like the nurse, the nurse practitioner in that Wall Street Journal story. It's super interesting because, you know, this, this guy having gotten the Adderall prescription went down the dark road into old addictions. And this person, when interviewed by the Wall Street Journal reporter, not surprisingly, has no memory of him. Right, like because she was in a machine, right, and and processing people. She had a thirty minute appointment to do all this. Exactly, and and I thought that 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 was one of those times actually when it's very powerful to have gone to this person because I wouldn't honestly reading the article. I'm thinking I don't have anything to learn from this person about this guy. They're not going to remember, right? But that's the point, and that's the problem that can exist with, like you said, uh, Christina, the pure profit approach. Yeah, and and and. And, and to be clear, though, that could also be the case if if this was like a regular doctor, right? Like, yep. like my, yep. my mom, um, she was recently went through some heinous stuff with with um her like her primary care doctor and and with actually with a cardiologist, and we could talk about the the ridiculous amount of um like ageism that exists in medicine, but that's a whole separate topic. But you know, these are these massive healthcare centers that are you know, like huge buildings that are, that are not HMOs, but are, you know, just these huge practices that these corporations own where doctors see, you know, hundreds of patients and, and you don't know like how much are they going to remember, you know, one person to the next other than their charts, right? Because it's, it's all, it it does become an assembly line and becomes a machine. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm just not sure um, if, 
there, there's also something about the virtual aspect if you're not if all you're doing is virtual stuff, right? If all you're ever doing is virtual, if that's the way you enter as a practitioner, particularly, I think there can be an issue with seeing the person as quite the same as you would see somebody that you met in person, just in terms of like the way we treat people from a humanity perspective. Yeah. We know for a fact that like, computers all of this technology is like a substitute but it's not a perfect one for being in person with people for connecting with people for taking the time the minute the person is off the screen you know in a in a regular session like you're still in your office you know that you have another person coming in there's time set aside for you to take notes you know all of those things are allowed because you're in a physical space which may not be the case if you're in a virtual space the machine again the program might just pop somebody else up on your screen yeah right you know how much is it like a call center yeah here's a whole nother human on the other hand like i have friends who are therapists who um who really believed during the pandemic that there were patients that came to them because they wouldn't have to come in person oh yeah i think that's the challenge right is is that these things if you were to do it the right way without that profit motive which i think you're exactly right brett like that's the problem with this if you were able to do to take on some of this disruption without it being about how can we exact as much profit out of this as possible, then I think that some of this tech could be really good and could lead to better care. But that's not how we think about the system in this country. Like we, we think about it literally as how much money can we ex- extract and, and how much, like, like what's, what's our best option. And the problem with that, I think, especially when you start talking about like when you're now talking about schedule two drugs and, and mailing them to people after a 10 minute meeting, you know, o- over a Zoom call, that's a problem because, you know, look, this guy who this story is about, he was not up front with a therapist or with the doctor or nurse practitioner or whatever. He was not up front, did not share his history. Um, and there's no telling that he would have been honest in person, right? He might have been able to get drugs in person as well. But I also have to think that in person, when you're not on kind of a 10-minute thing, somebody might have asked some questions like, have you had any, do you have any history of substance abuse? Do you have, you know, what what was your past experience with these things? And that might have led to a a slightly different, um, you know, outcome. I, you know, there's no telling if it would have or or would not have, but it definitely does. I I definitely have to say, as someone who is in favor of more people having access to medication, I'm equally uncomfortable with people having unfettered access in some ways to these types of drugs when there's not a lot of due diligence happening on on behalf of, of the people who are prescribing them. Like that that to me I think is really scary because these are things that that could fuck people up in yeah. really serious ways. Well and the particular thing that I think we have to look at with Dunn is Dunn is basically, to be very clear, they market themselves as you can get your ADHD meds in 30 minutes, right? This is not some normal run of the mill psychiatrist or therapist who's there to give you therapy. They're literally there to write you a prescription. Yep. That's why they exist. Right. You know, and that's like that's the purpose of the company. Which again, like one of the things that I think about in all of this is how in some ways, it is the entire insurance, like, the whole medical system in the United States sets us up for this. Because why do therapists charge so much money? Uh, because insurance um, because insurance often will screw a therapist in terms of the money that they get. Like, they can't, and it'll take them forever to get money back, you know, in reimbursements and everything. Uh, it's almost impossible for any individual therapist to go out on their own and take insurance because mm-hmm. of the amount of paperwork it requires and all of this, you know, and 
So we put all of these barriers in to allowing, because it's not just about profit. It's about sort of like astronomical profit, right? We want people to be able to live, right? We want therapists to be able to provide services and give good money and like, and get, a, have a decent living in exchange. But they can't do that with the way the system is set up right now without like charging exorbitant amounts of money that a lot of people can't afford. Um, or, and then, so then you get on the other side of this, a thing like done, which charges you very little money and gives you a prescription really quick. Yeah. Because that's the way that's like, there's those two options for people. And one for people is inaccessible. Yeah. And as we've talked about so much on this podcast and privately with friends, like the thing I thought about, you know, putting aside some of the particulars of the, the man's story and the wall street journal story, like just starting ADHD meds, starting Adderall there are so many questions. There are so many questions you have about why does my body feel like this? Is it the drug or is it the drug's interaction with something? Is it neither? Am I just nervous? Am I stressed because I'm putting this thing in my body, right? That's if you've never had experience with such a thing, right? Like even if you've had experience, sometimes you can get a higher, you know, dosage than you probably should get just because people feel like, oh, you were, you've done this before, right? And so for me, like I've found with especially with Vyvanse, which is the only ADHD med I've taken, um, I've had such a road with that particular drug that the idea of just having a quick, hey, you know, yeah, you can get this and here's how and here's your meds and you're off and running and, you know, <laughs> no real follow-up, uh, no promise of follow-up, that really scares me because of what it can do to your body and to your mind, um, especially if you're not used to sort of paying attention to your body and your mind as it sort of changes day to day. Yeah, 100%. And I think that Brian made a really great point is that Dunn, um, you know, would advertise itself specifically as this is the easy way to get your, your, your ADHD meds in 30 minutes, which attracts a very different audience type than somebody who's looking to solve a problem. I mean, what you're doing there, I and mean, let's just be explicit about it. You were going after college kids and you're going after people who are looking to abuse drugs mm -hmm. and get it, get it cheaply and get it without, without having to go through barriers. That's what you're doing. Or, or people who are already so fed up with the system, right? I mean, potentially. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. I'm just saying, I think that the way they advertise it, not to say other people couldn't use it, but the way they advertise it is very clearly for drug seekers. So there was like a two year period of my life where, um, I like I was cut off from my ADHD meds by a system that yeah. uh, just like wrote me off because I had drug abuse in my history and it, there was like no chance I would ever get uh, ADHD meds again. Um, and like a, a service like done could have saved, like, I mean, my life fell apart. Uh, I totally, I'm, I got divorced. I lost more. I gave up my job uh, and I couldn't find new work. Like I went broke. Um, like things did not go well. And, 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 and I started abusing alcohol again uh, because one of the things that being treated for ADHD is actually good for addicts. Uh, if your ADHD is treated, you are far less impulsive in your use of drugs. So the idea that an addict should never get an ADHD medication uh, is is errant. Sure. Um, but like a service like Dunn could have saved me from a lot of heartache. 100%. But you're right. Like, what's the difference between me and a college kid who wants Adderall to take their finals? You know, like, no, no one could determine that in a 30 minute or less conversation over over the phone right 
Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that's the problem, right? Like, I th- It flattens you. It flattens them. Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 to this, and, and, and to this point, because now I think that the, the pharmacies see it as a liability, um, uh, uh, Walmart and CVS, who are two of the, the biggest pharmacy exchanges in the U.S., will not fill prescriptions from Dunn. And, and it has to be because of this sort of thing. And, and that's unfortunate because, again, like I do feel like, to your point, like, Brett, like you're not the only one who could have been saved and had really good benefits from this. Like, I, I was reading about the service, and at first I was really sympathetic to the service because I was like, I think that what, what they're trying to solve is an important thing. And then, though, I think about it, though, and I'm like, God, but this is still some serious stuff. Like, there has to be a checks and balances here. And I guess the more I was kind of reading, especially about Dunn with their CEO and whatnot, the fact that a big red flag for me is zero background in, in healthcare or, or medicine, um, or, 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 you know, bioengineering, anything like that, right. Is, is to be like, which I'm sorry, I think does a little bit preclude you from starting a startup like this, right? Like at least have a co-founder who's a doctor, right. But if you don't have anybody on your founding team who comes from this world and you just see this as an area to, you know, create a middleman opportunity for yourself and speed things up and be efficient. I don't have a lot of trust that you're going to do things the right way. And, and in that case, you could potentially, my big fear with a lot of this is that this ends up because when pe- people have been overprescribed and have been overdiagnosed, in my opinion, and I think that that leads to people not taking people who have the actual diagnoses and need help seriously. I, I genuinely believe that. And I think that it, it leads to this thing where uh, it, there could be a, like a pendulum swing where it would be very difficult for all of us like on, on this and many people who listen to this podcast to actually get their medications. And that, that, that's a thing that scares me because of, of how these services work and, and just kind of this culture of, yeah, we'll give anybody a diagnosis if you happen to be of a certain class and happen to have access to certain things and, and, and say the right, you know, phrase, then we're going to give you your Adderall. Like, I don't want to not be able to get my Dexedrine because, you know, the, the Congress decides that they need to have more stringent guidelines, you know, because, because of this sort of thing that that's, yeah. I have to be completely like selfish and say, that's one of my fears. Well, sure. That's, that's every, every, everyone who is successfully treated for ADHD. That's a constant fear we have to live with. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, mm. I mean, they have this new advisor. Uh, yeah. They just hired a new advisor probably after all of this stuff happening is why they did this. Um, Steven Stahl, who's actually a guy I've read about before who has a lot of experience treating ADHD, but like fundamentally 30 minutes, and a one-minute assessment is not enough. Like, they promote a one-minute assessment. Yeah. There's a reason why the ADHD assessments take a while. Right. Like, there's so many things. You can't assess something in one minute. It's the ADHD assessment for ADHD. It really is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a joke my boyfriend told me was, if you want to test somebody for ADHD, just have them pack a suitcase for a trip. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we actually have like a couple of pop culture topics, and yeah. I'm wondering how you feel about transitioning. Let's do it. Yeah, pop topic. All right. Well, it's. I was thinking it. Brian came in saying it. Brendan Fraser in a fat suit, everybody. Do you want to do the summary first, Brian? Sure. So, honestly, who doesn't love Brendan Fraser? Brendan Fraser in The Mummy. Brendan Fraser in 
all sorts of great movies as a kid. You know, George of the Jungle. Like, we loved Brendan Fraser in the 90s and the, and the 2000s. Then Brendan Fraser disappeared. And in 2018, he came back. And, you know, there was an article in GQ where he talked about um, being blacklisted by the film industry after speaking out about being sexually assaulted. Um, you know, he has started to see, you know, more more career, more uh, more roles and things. And so this September, there was a big movie that was, you know, high profile called The Whale, which is also a play that was um, by Darren Aronofsky. Um, and it's like, it's Oscar bait, but it's Oscar bait in which Brendan Fraser wears a fat suit. I should also note that most of us who remember Brendan Fraser remember him as a thin, very muscular, hot person, typically hot person. Encino, man. That's how I remember Brendan Brendan, Brendan Fraser himself is fat now. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's important to understand as well. A little bit about this movie, just a quick background. This is a movie about a man who um, is struggling. It's a, about a 600-pound gay man struggling to connect with his estranged daughter before his compulsive binge eating kills him. Um, you know, and it got him a six-minute standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival. And, yeah, I mean, so too. this is based, yeah. on, based, on, a, based a on a play. Festival play. Yeah. Yeah, a pretty successful play. And like for me, straight up, I'll start the story. I don't think I don't think people should be wearing fat suits. I don't think that I don't think that people's bodies are costumes to put on and take off. Personally. Um uh I have a I have a personal problem with this. I think this movie also is sympathy porn for fat people, for like thin people to be like, "Oh, here's a reason for me to care about a really fat person." When oftentimes what we do is we ridicule them in shows like My 600 Pound Life and all of those sorts of things instead of seeing them as whole people. Um, I'm also like personally like really struggling with the fact that Brendan Fraser, as a fat person, who I hope would have started to realize what it is like to live in a fat body, would then choose to put a fat suit on on top of that. Hmm. But I also recognize the flip side of this is that I want to think about the fact that here is Brendan Fraser, who's been blacklisted from the film industry for a very long time, finally getting opportunities. Um, and they come to him with this, you know, and yeah. here's an opportunity for him to do something in a, in a movie that, you know, to me is a lot like movies about drug addicts, right? Where we're trying to like, you know, empathize with the drug addict. So we tell a story of a drug addict who like goes through this inspiring thing. And I just really struggle with it because um, why don't we care about drug addicts normally? Why, why do we have to tell inspiring stories about them? For me, it really fit in, not directly, but it fit in with this tradition of often um, very sort of trim Hollywood male actors gaining 60 to 80 pounds for a role. I think like Robert De Niro and Raging Bull and yep. like a million of those examples, right? And like- Christian Bale. They are praised. Oh. Yes, they are praised and placed in a very special category, almost as if, yep. look what you did to your beautiful self. Yes. You made yourself this thing just so you could act for us, you know, and it's a very, and you're doing violence to your body anyhow, because you're doing, you're gaining and then losing it really fast, right? Like it's really bad for your body. It's really it bad. Yes. <laughs> this episode brought to you by fatness. <laughs> it's awesome. It's just <laughs> like thinness. They're all part of the no natural human spectrum. Yes.
Yeah, I mean, I struggle with this because on the one hand, I do think, again, to your point, like we have this history for whether it's a good or it's a bad thing, it is a history of, of people, you know, transforming their bodies for roles and um, people, you know, um, being moved by it. And, and I've definitely been moved by those performances, like by Christian Bale's performances, by uh, Robert De Niro and Raging Bull, by, um, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, the Elephant Man and um, um, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot. Like, th- these are really fantastic performances that I I don't uh, look at them as, as being, like, negative um, uh, in, in most cases or, or like... Uh, pejoratives in certain ways um ones that i find a little ridiculous although not discounting what what she the work she went into it but like you know um the fact that like renee zellweger you know the weight she gained for um bridget jones i think that the people like lauding that was ridiculous because she became like the the size of like a normal person but i'm not going to discount having been someone who is very thin and then gained weight. I'm not going to discount uh, and, and then lost it again. I'm not going to discount like the actual toll and what it does to your body when your body changes that way. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to discount that. But I, th- I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of conflicted because on the one hand, I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, I, I don't think that we should, you know, be using like uh, fat suits and whatnot. Although there's a part of me that says, okay, but what's different about one prosthetic versus another, right? We use prosthetics in so many other ways. So are we going to say that one type of prosthetic is allowed and another isn't? Um, and if you want to have a conversation about the nuances with that, I'm happy to, but, but I think that's an important thing to put out. But the other thing though, is that I do fear, and, and this is, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to be honest here. If we were to make a rule that says that people can't use prosthetics or fat suits, then I do think that you would not see any stories of people of size told not because because a the number of actors who would be available to do it but b like this film is getting attention because it's Darren Aronofsky and it's Brendan Fraser if they actually cast an actual 600 pound actor in this no one would care and it wouldn't get funding and it's it's show business right like like people were really upset again Renee Zellweger with the thing about Pam i understand that here's the thing if the Oscar winner is not attached to that project, it doesn't get made. So sometimes I think you have to like, I, I, opening up to, to, to the rest of you, but like I have to say like, do you do we want stories told or do we not? Because sometimes I think it really does come down to that. Uh, what about Coda? I feel like Coda is a is a film that kind of makes the the sort of other argument. Yeah. But that's a small film, right? Like you can do that for sure. I'm just saying like, you're not going to get like Coda didn't go to the Venice film festival, right? Like it was, it was purchased at Sundance by Apple TV and they, uh, you know, as a really good Oscar campaign, but also in fairness here, Coda had the attachment of an, of an Academy award winner, right? It had, had our Marley Matlin. If you didn't have her attached to it, who is, Unfortunately, the she has been the face of of, of deaf uh, people in acting for her entire career, right? And because she won an Oscar when she was you know twenty one or whatever, like she's been the one person there. If she was not attached to that film, that film doesn't even get its its small amount of funding, right? Let alone getting picked up. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, it, it's a pipeline problem. I hate to be like that, you know, but but that is part of it. But it just I, I wonder if like if we can even open up the pipeline more, if you don't have any of these roles done, like, like if, if it's, if it's so, if people are so like at the point where they, they don't even feel like they can tell any stories like a, about drug addicts or about people of size 
or about you know deaf people, like what 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 do you do? Like I do think I do agree in most cases you should have the people who are those things playing those roles. But I also understand that like it, it's it's show business and it's going to be about who you can you know attach to it to actually get funding. You know, and, and if it's a if it's a matter of the film of the story getting told and not getting told, I'm I'm a little more conflicted there. I don't think the story needed to be told. Sure. And that's valid. I think just like yeah, I think yeah, I think that's the problem for me. Um I don't know why we need a uh, like we don't I guess and I don't know why we need stories about a six hundred pound man who's apparently decided he's going to die because of a compulsive eating disorder. Um like I'm not sure that that's the story that needed to be told. Um, sure. I also think, yeah, absolutely. I also think you could have told it with like a 400 pound person or a 300 pound person. It's like Brendan Fraser already was. We already, I think, like it, what's weird about it for me is like the excessive. Like, let me just say this: people think that 300 pound people are going to die already. People think all like so many like the stereotype is that fat people. You're just, we're all going to drop dead of heart attacks. And so it seems like, it really does seem like they used the fatness as an opportunity to make it a bigger deal than it was. And you could have told the story otherwise. Do you feel like you might have to amplify it though for for people to sympathize? Well, right. and that, For the average person. Yeah, but that's the problem, right? Like yeah, now now we're saying that we you we don't care about fat people unless they're six hundred pounds, and then we care about them in a really weird way, <laughs> you know, which is that we only care about them if they lose weight or they're going to die, not if they're just like normally living people. Um, and I think the last thing was you talk about prosthetics, Christina. I would just say I think as you said the nuances here. I think the biggest one is like some prosthetics change the human body in a way to align with stereotypes. Sure. And those, you know, like I don't just as like mainly it's like, I don't think, I don't think men should play women either. You know, like, I don't think that, you know, like when, when Jared Leto played a trans woman, like, I think it was Jared Leto, like, no, not like cast a trans woman. And part of the reason why they're not casting these people is because we're not in the industry. And the reason we're not in the industry is because they've decided they'd rather cast thin people and have them wear fat suits or prosthetics. So I think the question is, you know, we have to, like there are probably great actors out there who are fat and they just don't know them. Sure. No, and, yeah. and I don't disagree with that at all. And and, and look, it's a chicken and an egg thing. Uh, you're, you're not wrong. I'm just saying like we have to accept the industry reality, which is, for instance, with, with Jared Leto, right? That film does not get made unless it is starring Matthew McConaughey and Jared Leto. That film does not get made, and so, like, that's just a fact. Um, and and so, you know, especially then, now you might have a better chance. You would still need to have Matthew McConaughey. You would never be able to to make that film without it. Um, you know, I, I wasn't in favor of, of the Scarlett Johansson, you know, film where she was going to be playing a trans man. However, that film fell apart after she left the project. They could not get funding. So it, it does like people are retroactively angry at at like Hillary Swank being in, in Boys Don't Cry, which I think is bullshit, because I think in that time that that was the she was perfect casting. And and that was a, an indie film made with, with very little money. And I think it fit the 
the the nuance of that story incredibly well. So I actually have a big problem with people retroactively being angry with that. But I can understand not wanting to to ca- like wanting to cast trans people for trans roles. I get that. I just also like think that we have to acknowledge this is a this is a business. Fundamentally, this is a business. And you know, for a lot of people, the question would then become like, do we uh, like do we tell the stories or not? I think that there's a, a valid comment to say, does this story, this play need to be told? Does this need to be a film? And I, I get that. Yeah. But I, I think that like, the more broadly, you have to like, for instance, Charlize Theron, who absolutely deserved her Oscar for Monster. And it's yeah. still to me one of the like most amazing performances ever. She gained weight. They modified her face. She was in makeup for hours and hours a day. They could have cast an ugly person, right? I don't think that you can make the argument, at least to me, because because like a pretty privilege is is, is a, a very real thing, and and obviously most people who are on screen are going to have pretty privilege. But like I I I I I, and I know this isn't what you're saying. I'm just saying people could take this to to its other place where they're like, well, we, we couldn't have cast Charlize Theron in that role because we should have cast you know someone who actually you know uh, didn't need to modify their body that way. And 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 I think that there are nuances to, to be clear. I know you're not saying that. I just think that yeah. sometimes the conversation becomes flat and to the point where I have a hard time sometimes engaging with it because it's like, a it's art. And, and, you know, a lot of people, their process is modification, but B this is, this is a, this is a business and it's about who you can market to and, and who you can, you know, what name you can attach so that you can get people willing to put millions and millions of dollars on the line. Cause it, these projects, it's not like it's, you know, a small amount of money. I mean, you're talking about, you know, like, yeah hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And, and, you know, that's, that's going to be difficult to, to do for somebody who doesn't have a, a reputation or a name. Yeah. I think the question, I mean, which, which goes back, I mean, what we're pointing at at the end of the day here is that there are large systemic problems that, that cause us to be in the reality that, that we are here. I think the question is, when do you decide to start focusing on the systemic problem versus worrying about or versus saying, oh, well, we can't make this now. And maybe that's okay if we can't make this now. Maybe we have to wait until we have the better people to do it. Yeah. You know? and, but once again, it goes back to what did we talk about earlier? Profit. Right. Right. Like we want to make this movie now because we want to tell this story now because we think it's going to be a hit, which is both it's a good story maybe and it will make money, you know? And yeah. It's easy. Yeah. Although, although, I mean, I, I, the only thing I'll say is, like, let's not ever pretend, like, the film industry – I mean, the, the one thing I will say, like, about it is it's always been up front that it's a business, right? Like, like if you're a, an artist and you're somebody who can find somebody to fund you and you want to not be seen, that's fine. And you can get grants and whatnot and you can do your work that way. But, like, it, it, it's – the whole point is to have people see your work and for it to make money and, and to do that. So I think that, unfortunately, just there's there's always going to be a push-pull about that. For certain things, but I do think you're exactly right. Like we have to maybe have the conversation. It's not okay to tell these stories. I guess the only thing I would say is, if we say that, then I think maybe we have to like let people know these are the stories you're missing out on. If that makes any sense, we're not telling these stories not because we don't want to, but because we don't have a way to do it that fits in with this system. And maybe that's the only way you can get the system to 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 adapt. But you have to be willing to let the stories not be told, and at the same time, not you know, like be very angry when the stories aren't told. Like you've got to almost like, yeah. Oh, agreed. You know? Yeah. If I can put a positive spin on trans people in, uh, television and movies, you guys watch the umbrella club, umbrella Academy. No, 
Umbrella Academy, sorry. Yeah, Umbrella Academy, they actually wrote in Elliot Page's transition into the script and changed the the credit sequence after the after the character after the character on the on the TV series transitioned. Yeah. And trans people in film, film and TV are a great example of where we've started to see things change. Yeah. You know, and and that is both because of pressure that's been put on, like social pressure, mm-hmm. and more trans people have felt able to be in the industry, to come as themselves to the industry. And like, and Elliot is a great example. I mean, Elliot is probably the first major movie star to transition publicly yeah. and to go well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're not there yet with fat people. Well, uh, no, I'm going to transition. That's not a pun. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to transition right now. Publicly on air. (laughs) Oh, wow. Congratulations. (laughs) No, unless if there's anything anyone wants to say, wrapping that up, I want to transition into pop culture topic number two. Yes. I just want to point out, we skipped the mental health corner and that's part of why Brian is here. Do we have sponsors? No, actually we don't. Okay, great. this, This episode is brought to you by whoever you want it to be brought to you by. Do you want to just do a like a a late check in? Yeah, <laughs> and I, I mean, and I know you know this, Brian, but there are no rules. It doesn't have to be long or short or any kind of depth or or anything. It's just what you're feeling like you want to check in with. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm happy to kick it off. I'll just say, um, so I, I'll, I'll line up to being fat, right? Like this is actually it ties in really well. So I recently got a new doctor and I got this new doctor because my previous doctor, when I told him that I didn't want to talk about weight loss, said to me, well, then I won't be your doctor anymore. Oh, fuck him. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. It was a him. Uh, Luckily, um, the, I, I complained, the medical director contacted me and she turned out to be a health at every size certified practitioner. So I'm now seeing her, and I just had my first appointment with her. Um, Health at Every Size is a framework that was started really to begin the conversation around the fact that like, being fat is not fundamentally unhealthy. There are, um, and there's a longer conversation to say, we, should we value people based on their health, which I would say no. But um, this was the first step of like the, the path to fat liberation, which is like, um, you know, Studies show that like being fat does not automatic. There's no. Let me say this. Nobody has yet proven causation for being fat making you unhealthy. They have shown correlation, but not causation. Mm. And so many people forget that that's a really important thing in science. Um, but anyway, so I went to this doctor. Um, I've had some concerns recently about my uh, my blood pressure. Um, I've been on Adderall. I'm on blood pressure pills, um, but like. I had a period where like I was just like my heart was beating a lot faster when doing a lot less than I thought it would need to. Um, and it has kind of gone away, but I was still kind of nervous about it. And so I see this new doctor, you know, um, she was really great. Like she didn't requ- She said, if you want to weigh yourself, you're welcome to. There's no requirement. That was really cool. The first time I've ever had that experience, my blood pressure was fabulous. Also a wonderful thing. So, you know, great appointment and everything. But then the day after I get my labs back and there are some things that are high. And this is the first time I've ever had labs 
that showed abnormalities. Mm. Um, and so my doctor was very nice. You, you all may know these days, doctors will share things at the same, like you get the lab results at the same time your doctor does. Yes. Yep. This part, yep. right? Yeah. And so I was freaking out, y'all. I was freaking out about what these numbers meant. Totally. Um, turns out, I, so I had to follow up with my doctor today, but my doctor was like, don't freak out. We'll meet. I probably have hyperthyroidism. Okay. Mm. Um, which turns out is not hard to treat. Nope. You take a pill. <laughs> and yeah, like I found that out from a lot of people, but I was on a roller coaster this weekend. Like Friday, I was ready to believe that I was going to die. Mm. You know, um, mm. I have really bad illness anxiety. It's like one of my types of anxiety that I have. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of friends like step up and share with me their experiences with their thyroids and everything and help me understand that it wasn't like a, like, you know, an end of the world thing. Um, and also that it was probably, um, you know, unrelated again to being fat. I had a, I think we may have talked about this before, but I had a friend in last December pass away big sort of like iconic person in the fat liberation movement. I was working with her on the fat studies conference that happens every year or every two years, really we do it. And she passed away suddenly. Um, her name was Kat Pause. She's really like one of the founders of the fat studies movement from an academic perspective. And she passed away suddenly. And you know, when, when that happens to somebody who is fat, you worry, you worry a lot. And I had been worrying until I went and saw my doctor you know, so I was like this roller coaster of wow, clean bill of health. Oh wow, maybe not. There's something going on. But then I met with my doctor today, and she's like, all of these labs, like it's we just want to figure out what's going on with this thyroid, and it's not super urgent. You know, all of those things are really good to hear. But it has been a rocky weekend, like you know, like big time. My mental health was like sort of up and down and all over the place. Yeah, yeah, man. But otherwise, you know, I'm doing better now. So that's good. That is really good. I'm I'm glad I'm glad that you are like feeling calmer about that. And 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 I, I hope that if I say this, this this doesn't like come across the wrong way. But if if this is something with your thyroid, you might find that your weight might change like naturally oh, because yeah. of that, which which could, you know, lead to maybe like other, you know what I mean? Like I'm not trying to say like, oh, maybe this will help you like lose weight, because that's not what I'm trying to say. But like I I I've I've had thyroid problems and and it has an absolute effect. On, yeah. on 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 your weight um which which you know so I'm, I'm glad that they're they're looking into this and getting this checked out yeah it's a very interesting thing to consider inside of fat liberation i have already begun like there was a period where i lost some weight because i was just exercising more and like i had to start to think about how i feel about felt about losing weight in a different way which is really interesting yeah um you know yeah i have that thing where my heart beats loud and fast when I'm not doing anything and it yeah. scares the shit out of me. I've gone to the emergency room before uh, only to have them run hours of tests on me to say, you're fine. Everything's fine. Maybe you're constipated or something. Who knows? And it's, it's, it's very disconcerting though, when you can hear your heart throbbing in your ears and you can't fall asleep. Tachycardia. Oh, you know, it's awful. Yeah. yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go next. Uh, pretty, pretty good, actually. Um, sleeping too much. Uh, I think like I'm hitting that like post uh, post mania depression, but I'm not like I'm not down. Um, I'm doing I'm 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 being very social and 
Um, I'm not. I'm not scared that you guys all hate me right now. Good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Good. I'm pretty sure we're all cool. I feel like we're all cool. Yep. Um. And 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 I'm. I can. I could drop and take a nap any time of the day right now, which is weird mm. for me. But uh, but other than that, uh, just kind of stable. I have an appointment with my therapist. My third appointment with my therapist is tomorrow. Um. Looking forward to uh seeing him when I am not manic. <laughs> is that in person or tele- I think it's in person. I can't remember what we scheduled. I have to check the calendar. Um, if it's not in person, then the next one will be in person next week. Um, I will, I will be, I, I will be trying both versions, both flavors of this therapist to see what I actually like better. Um, but last time we talked, I was still manic and the conversation was pretty much entirely about mania and I have so many other things I want to get into. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Uh, we'll see what happens. That's great. Yeah. That's really awesome. I totally feel you on the, Oh my gosh, everybody hates me thing. (laughs) Just random, random days. I'll get it for different people. For real. Yep. Yep. I had to ask, we had a, we had really good friends over like the kinds of friends that, I'm super comfortable with and they get me, they know me. Uh, and we had about, it was two couples and over for dinner and I was just on like super, super on the whole time, which I get when I really like the people that I'm with, but I sort of lose myself a little bit and I can't really tell how on yep. I was. And yep. I spend the next two days. Yeah. I spend the next two days just being like, Oh my God, was that a disaster? Like, yep. <laughs> People seem to be enjoying my company. <laughs> We've had episodes where I feel like I was really on, and then we get done, and I'm like, oh my God, was I the asshole? Right. No, the answer is Christina and I are always the assholes. And it's totally I was gonna say, I'm always that. the asshole. I was thank, thank you, Brian. I, 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 I was I was gonna I would have added that, but yeah. Listen, we both have very strong contrarian streaks, Christina. We do, which is why I appreciate you so much because I yeah, I, 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 li- I like like being able to like have more like robust discussions about things. Yeah. Uh how are you, Jeff? Or Christina, yeah. I can go. Yeah, I can. You want me to go, yeah. Christina? Okay. Um, I am, uh, you know, I was reading a book this morning called the face, a time code. And Mm. it's, um, it's by this, um, Japanese American writer who actually I had never encountered before Ruth Ozeki or Ozeki. Um, it's actually a pen name. Um, but this is, um, what she did for this book was she, she took inspiration from a a Harvard art professor who's, uh, who's, (laughs) <laughs> whose article or like the transcript of her talk, I will put into the show notes. It's incredible. This is an art um, history teacher who has her students each year, pick a painting and go sit in front of that painting for three hours, knowing that that's insane. Like, you know, she's not just like, you'll find your space, right? She's like, that is uncomfortably long and maybe even physically uncomfortably. Long. I'd fall asleep. Like you can get up, you can stand, whatever. And the idea being that like, you know, by the end journal the whole time, you're just like the things you, you know, start to see. And she had this great thing about how, you know, just seeing is not seeing, right? Not having access to something is not the same as seeing it, right? Mm. And so anyhow, this, this woman um, who wrote this book, The Face, a very short book, wanted to do this where she put a mirror up and she was going to stare at her own fucking face for three hours. And the book is half time coded journal 
and half more considered memoir. And she goes through all the stuff you can just imagine going through over that. You, the things you hate about your face, the things you are curious about in your face, the things that used to bother you, but don't anymore things that used to be true, but aren't true. And the way that she, um, the way that she wrote this thing was just incredible and, and beautiful. And I, and what happened to me, I read it this morning and I actually, so my, the background of this is this is the first day that my wife and my kids are all back at school. My wife works at a university, so I'm home alone and I can just have a nice slow morning. And so I'm just like laying on the couch, reading this very slow book about a very slow thing, looking at your face for three hours. Right. And I felt so good just be reading and not be reading Uh. exactly like story or anything. You know how sometimes like you can, reading is great, but it can kind of activate parts of you, either trauma or too much joy or whatever, right? Like it can bring you into places that you don't mean to be. And this just kind of like hovered with me in a way that was just Uh. really, really powerful. But she, she opens up by asking this question or writing this question that's it's it's a buddhist koan which is kind of like a a thought puzzle they're like these single questions that um that you ask yourself and they're meant to they how she put it is they're meant for you to like break your brain over them basically right and the question that she writes is what did your face look like before your parents were born and i loved that so goddamn much in part because i'm in this phase of therapy which is also known as therapy um, where parent stuff is like super present. And I see myself through the lens uh, of the son of these two people. Right. And, and more than I would like to, what doesn't say anything. That's, that's a neutral statement more than I would like to, right. I would like to see myself or, or feel myself as being something more sort of detached and individual. And there was something about this question. What did your face look like before your parents were born that like took me to that place for just a second. I just felt like a different kind of being and a, a different kind of presence. So no, I'm not high, even though my co-op now sells THT, THC gummies because the Minnesota state legislature made a mistake and Oops. accidentally legalized them. That's a whole another topic. <laughs> oh my God. Um, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So, so, so gummies are legal, but, but not edibles. anything else. Yeah. They ac- they accidentally legalized small amounts of, of edibles because the Republican on the committee <laughs> read it just a little wrong. And, and so it was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And then all of a sudden I was like, you just legalized gummies. Thank you. <laughs> so like, so you literally get like, the, Oh my God, this is amazing. So literally my fucking co-op now sells gummies. Like, it's just like, <laughs> of course it's they do. Mind boggling. So what I need to do to close out my check-in is go take a bunch of gummies and go. What did your face look like before your parents were born? <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right, Christina. That was I, I took us all over the place. You want to land? You did. Us? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I am still uh, unfortunately dealing with some of my uh, uh, like issues with with my digestive system, which means like I've been having a hard time oh. like. With uh, like my esophagus, like I've been, it, it's it's not the gross digestive stuff. It's like there, it's an ulcer or something. I don't know. I've got an appointment, but I'm not going to be able to be in for a couple weeks. So I've been dealing with that, and that has not been fun at all. Like it's it's been pretty shitty. I'm I'm not going to lie. So that that's kind of where I'm at right now. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's, that's okay. the kind of thing. That's like tooth pain. It's like it's just there. <sighs> yeah. No. Exactly. And it's just like, it's not, it's just not good. Um, but I'm, I'm trying and, uh, you know, 
my mom is freaking out, obviously, because at, as frequent listeners of this show know, like my mom is is like the stereotypical helicopter mom, and and it doesn't matter how old I am or how old she is, like she will never not worry about these things. So uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, but yeah, no, it was pretty bad this weekend, um, and uh, but hopefully that will I can at least get things under control until I can get to a doctor and then have you know full uh, you know upper GI and and all that stuff. Maybe if they just scope me, they have to scope me, but. That's fine. Ugh, um, but yeah, I mean, I've wow. had it done before, so it's, it's yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's, scoping it's, as in like colonoscopy, yeah, potentially or endoscopy. It would be either one. Oh, yeah, okay. I've, I've, you know, maybe, maybe both ends. Maybe I'll get lucky and I'll, I'll, I'll get the, I'll get, I'll get both. Maybe Ooh, that'll and they happen. can meet in the middle. Oh, god, fuck, yeah, that no, I really dance? don't want that, but yeah, that would be. <laughs> Oh my gosh, absolutely not in the middle. I just think about going back. I, Christina, I just think about going back. I can go all the way back to 2007, no, 2003, when I, no, 2004, again, can't do dates, but when I got diagnosed with IBS mm-hmm. and, the, and like the lead up to dealing with that, like to figuring out what was going on and just the pain, I can still remember the pain. Like, well, uh, so IBS basically means we couldn't figure out what was going on because I went through ten thousand dollars out of pocket. It's the worst worth of colonoscopies and checkups and check ins and dietary uh, discovery and ultimately they're like, yeah, you have IBS, which means you don't have diverticulitis, and we don't find any other issues other than you have clear symptoms that we can't explain. So you you have IBS, and I've lived with that ever since. My doctor was just, the doctor that I went, and it was a different doctor because I was in the middle of nowhere. I was at it like uh, summer theater, doing summer stock theater. And he was like, yeah, I think you have IBS. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I mean, I have never, I have never challenged that. The things that I've done have worked. So yeah, uh, can I can I complain about one thing before we get to gratitude? Please. So you, do you guys remember Simple, the banking? Uh, yeah. Company Simple. So I R.I.P. Yeah, I signed up for Simple, and they they closed. I was like, whatever. I had like thirty bucks in my account. They sold my account to PNC Bank, uh-huh. and um, and I I thought whatever you know, it's, it's in perpetuity. I'll have $30, but they started charging service fees and I got an email. I've been getting emails every 12 hours for the last three days saying that my account was in low balance mode, meaning I was 18 cents overdrawn. Uh, And this is an account I have not touched in a decade. I do not have an account number. I do not have a card. Well, you clearly bought a gumball. I do not. I do not have anything related to this account. I have no login. I have. I have no way to modify the situation. I'm talking to them, and they're like, "Oh, all you have to do is show up at a PNC location with a photo ID." I live in fucking bumfuck Minnesota. I have right. no PNC location within the state, let alone near me. Oh my gosh! And so basically, I have until 10 p.m. Eastern tonight to rectify this situation before they start charging me overdraft fees on an account I haven't touched in a day. Jesus Christ. And they're not giving me, and they're like, oh, we'll escalate this issue. Give us your phone number. So I'm waiting for a call now. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. 
oh my god, what a like, nightmare. Just, just close the account. I'll pay you 18 cents to close my account and <laughs> just leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so I promised my mother I would take her for a hike in the Wisconsin wetlands um in i'm supposed to pick her up in seven minutes so if we could if we could if we could roll on into gratitude i'm sorry oh my god we were gonna talk about taylor swift for the first time in like how many weeks look the whole reason this is my gratitude it's usually an app it's gonna be taylor swift this time (laughs) perfect fair enough okay so so taylor swift i feel like has written an album her next album is called midnight so it'll be out in october i feel like it is in many ways a complete acknowledgement of this podcast overtired because the whole thing (laughs) is about the things that keep her up at night (laughs) nice nice shout out to overtired Honestly, I'm down with it. Awesome. Yeah, she put a little something in the acknowledgments. I saw I got a promo of the CD, which probably doesn't even happen anymore. People get promos of CDs anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I still get my uh, my Columbia House Columbia uh, House CDs every month. Oh, my God, what a fucking wonderful time that was. Oh, my God. Man, I ripped, I ripped them off so much. Oh, my Same, Christina. Oh, my God. Same. Oh, Columbia yeah. House and BMG. Because if you were under 18, you could. There's nothing they could do. You could. You could. My parents would just call and say sorry. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I had accounts in the dog's name. I'm like, you're the one who set up an account for Shadow Warren. Like, what is what is wrong with you? Like, uh, They get so mad at me for doing it again and again. I didn't, I didn't even hide it. Like, <laughs> So many CDs. All right, so we do gratitude. Jesus, I could have gone down that rabbit hole for the next five hours. Uh, Brian, do you have a gratitude? Yo, of course I have a gratitude. I'm ready. Honestly, my gratitude is uh, going to be uh, is going to be the app Craft. Did we do Craft already? No, we haven't. But I like Craft a lot. So Ugh. yes, great, 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 great pick. I love Craft. I love Craft. Craft is Craft came up at the same time that Obsidian did, but it's very like Craft is a prettier Obsidian. It's Obsidian without having to be all the Obsidian things. Yeah, no, you don't need to deal with Markdown stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say it's not a, it's not based on Markdown text files. So we have a, we have a difference of opinion. Brett, Brett, this is about gratitude. Right, right, right. Sorry, <laughs> this isn't me. This isn't mine. No, what I'm trying to say is Obsidian is like for Brett, right? Like, yes. like Craft is for like normies. <laughs> Yeah, I got like I couldn't keep remembering all of them. My problem with Markdown is that I can't remember the Markdown syntax because I haven't probably used it enough. So Craft is great. It's so pretty. Uh, they've been doing so many things. They updated and they have a whole web app now that's really running, so you can use it on the web. They're also, I mean, we're going to give a shout out to all of the teachers and students. Craft is giving you fifty percent off. Nice for back to school. Uh, this is they are not a sponsor, but they should. Um, yeah, it's really pretty. It works really well. Um, and they've built their own workflows into stuff too, which I really love. So I'm just really loving craft is the place that I can try to remember to go to to put things in. Yeah, because I have the problem of like, where are you putting things, Brian? Which of the 15,000 places are you putting things? Mm-hmm. And craft is on all of the places right now. So I can try to make craft be the thing. Oh, it's always so nice when you feel like even for a little bit, this is the place. We could do a whole episode on that. We really could. Yes. We won't. Because that's not what this show is. That, that's what the, that's what this segment of this show is. I mean, Brett, what we could say is that's the Patreon. Mm. 
<laughs> you can just you can just listen to Brett opine about note taking methods. I mean, people would pay. For they it. would. I'm, I'm saying, saying. I'm saying. Like, I I'm would ready pay. for the overtired Patreon. One hundred percent. Because I'm signing up. That said, craft is truly beautiful. It is. it is. Like I hit, I hit, a, I hit up against limitations. I personally uh, didn't like almost immediately, but I could easily see how someone willing to invest in this little craft ecosystem could be like very well served by craft. I think it's a great app. Yeah. I I like it a lot better than notion personally. Brett. Okay. So I'm cheating. I'm going meta. You're choosing meta. meta. My pick (laughs) meta. No, you're choosing meta. Wow. My bold choice, Brett. (laughs) My pick this week is homebrew. Yeah. Um, the the package manager, uh, people old enough to remember Mac ports will understand the concept. Um, anyone younger than that will just understand that if you are willing to install Xcode, you never actually have to use it, but you get a package manager that from the command line, you can install any command line utility available. And with casks, like the whole thing is beer based. So if you if you have casks, you can install most Mac apps, especially free ones, uh, using Brew. You can dump out a Brew file, and when you open up a, a new com- a new Mac, you can you can run a Brew install that installs all of your favorite packages, all of your favorite apps. It is it's just and easy way to you can type Brew upgrade and upgrade everything on your system all at once. It is just the ultimate package manager. I love it. Brett, did you know that you can install Ruby gems using Brew? I did. I knew I knew it's possible, even though they specifically said we don't handle things like pick pip packages and Ruby gems. You can actually make a formula to install Ruby gems. There's like they so somebody already has a, pa- a basically a formula to install called Ruby Gems, yeah, which lets you then re- install gems, and you can let, using you can have like Brew Gem install, and then it, then manage your your gems through Brew. Yeah, I did see yeah. that, which is how I'm going to install Doing on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, yeah, nice. Um, which I'm going to call Feeling based on last week's conversation. <laughs> I like that <laughs> about journaling and doing. Totally. <laughs> All right. Mine is an app called Table Flip by Christian Teets. It's been out for yes. a while. It's been out for a few years. Yes. And um, what it is, so it's like a wonderfully simple app for building tables in Markdown. But it is also just its own little table building interface that you can just work with so quickly. Like anybody who writes primarily in Markdown, you know the woes of making a table. Like you only make a table in Markdown when you fucking know you have to, right? Yeah. But with table flip, like you open this app, you can really quickly kind of go, it's this many rows, this many, whatever. You could just do all sorts of really quick movements and start filling out a table that you then copy and paste or export into Markdown. And as much as I, I use table flip for making tables that go into markdown documents. I actually use it more often as a thinking and planning tool, sort of how I use mind maps as a thinking tool. So like with table flip, I can just or- open it up and start typing. Um, Kristen Teets is someone I've, I've really, I've really loved for a long time. He also made an app called the archive, which is a note taking app. Dude, he was integral in the creation of NVLT. 
Oh, wow. I did not know that. I used I used code from Divine Dominion back in NBA. I had no idea. Like, he's been around. He also wrote an app that I love called Word Counter, which like mm-hmm. it just lives in your menu bar, oh, and yeah. you can just say count words in these apps, yep. and then it'll just tell you like you just you just type thirty words in you know Quip um, or in Firefox or whatever. He just writes these really simple, but like, oh my God, I need these kind yeah. of utilities. And he's a man after my own heart. One thing I would add on about Table Flip is it does, you can open a markdown file in Table Flip and have like two way communication. So you edit the table in Table Flip and it will automatically update that table in your markdown file. And that's that's the selling. Oh, wow. Yes. It's like you can send a table back and forth between the two. That that it shows you how much I use this as a thinking tool because I don't do that, but that is totally the selling point. And also, like people talk a lot about the Zettelkasten style of note taking now, like Obsidian is all about that, and Rome and all this yeah. stuff. But like I learned about all that stuff from Christian's blog, and yeah. his ability to write about that is just fantastic. So. Just go check out Christian's stuff generally. The apps are about 10 bucks each. He's got other apps besides the one we've talked about, but just a developer that like obviously we're all on board with here. So that's me. All right. Hey, Brian, it was awesome to meet you. Friends, this is wonderful. Absolutely. I this is so great to be with all of you and to see all your faces. Do you want to say it, Brian? Get some sleep. Get some sleep. Get, Get some, some sleep. sleep. Hey there, good people. Before you go, we have a bunch of new places where you can interact with us. Please check out our Instagram feed, our YouTube channel, Twitter, of course, and sign up for the Overtired newsletter, which will sort of pick up where the show leaves off with expanded show notes, uh, a little bit of what the three of us get up to between episodes. And let's face it, there'll be some musings. How can you resist musings? You'll find details for all the ways to interact with us in the show notes and at overtired.com. And thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for listening.